0: hello everyone you are listening to the chaos and shadow podcast my name is kyle and i'm joined here by my co-host pegan pegan how you doing this week
1: i am doing great how are you
0: i am well thank you we are joined by recurring guest of the show jason Mankey. jason thank you so much for coming back we just had you on a little bit ago to talk about your book the horn god of the witches and it was such a fun chat. Uh, We did that around Yule. And now you got some new content coming. So how have you been these last couple uh, weeks, months, whatever it shakes out to be? I
2: I feel like I release a book every two months. (laughs) So, you know, I'm frequently on podcasts and like a frequent guest because it's like he's got another book. (laughs)
0: We love it. I mean, honestly, that keeps a spice and a variety in our life. The moment that's not the case, Jason, we'll be knocking on your door concerned. Uh, It was only in December, come to think of it, because we did that Yule themed episode around Mm -hmm. um, Llewellyn's little book of Yule that you put out, which was really fun. It was just the first introductory chat. But I see uh, March 8th, you have The Witch's Book of Spellcraft, a practical guide to connecting with the magic of candles, crystals, plants, and herbs. This book looks phenomenal, and I can't wait to get my hands on it. Pagan's got one up on screen there for folks.
1: (laughs) For the YouTube crowd, I'm being Vanna White over here. I love it. Oh, you have it? I I have a press copy that Llewellyn sent me to you. Oh, you got one
2: of the ARCs. Okay, the advanced reader copies. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I, I have requested a full copy, but uh, it, it's not available yet. So that's totally fine. I'll just wait.
2: <laughs> it's in the warehouse because I have one copy. I have I have the final version.
1: They might hand. be sending it in th- my next review box. I don't know yet. Yeah, pretty. Uh, Llewellyn kind of is like here, here's what you want. Here's the happy list, and we'll get you what we can. So. I, I never complain because I'm always just happy if I get one book. So and they usually send me like eight.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're they're very, very kind. <laughs> fantastic
1: <to us>. folks. <laughs>
0: it, they're either feast or
2: famine, though, like either they yeah. send you books or they don't send you books. Right. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, like you all of a sudden you won't hear from them for four months. And then there's this giant box. It's really <laughs> weird, uh, it's really weird.
0: I I gotta say um, I I this is nothing against luellen We had a we had a mail mishap where I had uh, I think that's why we've got so many books We've been giving away yes. jason is is they sent me this great one to a, a utah address when I was out there But I had just moved and they had my correct one, but with printing of labels in the mail room, it just slapped on the old one. It appeared six months later, like right after Christmas, I think it was. And it was a true uh, gift, you know, just tons of things. So we've been we've been handing them out to the community and trying to get people some mm-hmm. new tarot cards and good times.
2: It's a Yuletide miracle. That's what I want to call it.
0: <laughs> how was your Yule? Because we, we talked pre, but how how were the mm-hmm. festivities for you? Did that was that fun and exciting? Or did you guys... Were you more inside this year?
2: You know, it was weird because it started out so well versus 2020. Mm -hmm. And I'm someone who likes to have a lot of people over and I'm someone Mm -hmm. who likes big Yule celebrations. Mm -hmm. But by about the winter solstice was when the Omicron thing hit here. Yeah. So I got to do Yule with my coven and then we kind of shut things down for, you know, until Mm -hmm. the end of January for the most part. So it wasn't everything that I wanted it to be. Because, you know, they were still couldn't do a lot of stuff like, you know, no crazy raging New Year's Eve parties or anything yeah. like that. So that was kind of, uh, you know, punch in the gut, but it was so much better than 2020.
1: Yeah strongly feel that
0: (laughs) yeah it's i feel like there is a an energy that uh kind of is starting to revitalize and i've been saying to pegan in our own chat here that for the past couple weeks or just maybe even months maybe it's been since december i've totally been in hibernation mode with my craft and everything too it just it got to be one of those things my friend got punched hard by covid too he caught it right around new year's and it laid him out for about three weeks so I think you did the right thing with trying to get what you could in and then stay stay in and, and just endure the rest. <laughs> Um, now for today's though I want to hyper focus and dive in on this book Jason because this this one is not only like a really attractive book cover but we got a book title just filled Mm -hmm. with topics I mean I I read it out the candles crystals plants and herbs we we got all the goodies in there now Pagan's got her hands on a copy but Mm -hmm. maybe you can guide me and our listeners out there who don't through um, a little bit of the creation process and, and generally what they should expect about this like why Jason should they go go and add this to their library, maybe.
1: Other than yeah. another Jason Mankey book that's amazing beyond that.
0: <laughs>
2: Aw, thank you. You know, I'm blushing right now. <laughs> <laughs> I will point out about I will point out about the the title though, because Llewellyn comes up with the titles, right? Like mm-hmm. I had oh, a I didn't know that. Like, yeah. They have final say on titles and they have final say on that secondary title. So when my wife heard the book was going to have be called the Witch's Book of Spellcraft. A practical guide to connecting with the magic of candles, crystals, plants, and herbs. She said, "Aren't plants and herbs the same thing? Why would you need to do that twice?" So I was—I always, always thought that was funny. <laughs> you know, that was her first thought. Not—not not the word spellcraft or anything. Why plants and herbs twice? So this all of the books that I write I try to answer questions that I had when I was starting out 20 or 30 years ago or whatever it was you know back when dinosaurs walked the earth <laughs> and one of the things that you get as a witch is you see lots of spell books right you know but it doesn't explain how magic works mm-hmm. it doesn't say like why mm-hmm. Uh, why an herb and not a candle or why this stone and why not an incense or an oil or something. So I wanted to write about all of the various types of magical things that witches use. I mean, candles are obvious, but also our voices, the written word, stones, crystals, herbs, and other plants, you know, when you say herbs, people, I think, think of maybe like an apothecary with like dried herbs and all kinds of things. But to me, when I say herbs, it always means more than that. It could mean trees, anything that grows, really, right? Uh, wanted to look at incenses and oils, which are always present, and we don't always talk about them a whole lot. Uh, yeah, so all these various sort of magical disciplines, and I wanted to talk about how that magic works and what makes it different. Uh, I'm not sure I succeeded, because trying to explain exactly how something works that's magical can be really difficult. but. I wanted to get more into some of the insides of magic. There are spells in the book, though. There are over 100 spells. And I think if you're a witchcraft author, you're legally obligated to write a spell book at some point. You know, they just (laughs) build it into a contract that you must write a spell book. So this is mine. But I wanted it to be more than a spell book. I wanted it to say, you know, how does this work? Like, you know, is candle magic slower or faster than working with crystals or something like that so that's what the book tries to explain and i am not the best spell writer in the world so i ended up asking people to help me to write the book Uh, most of the words in the book are mine but a lot of the ideas come from the other contributors one of them Mm -hmm. is my wife ari but also two members of our coven uh, matt cavelli and amanda lynn who are terrific witches really, really great at, at writing spells and have been practicing for over 20 years, too. So all four of our different ideas of magic are a part of the book.
0: Wow. I mean, That is awesome. You absolutely answered my question to a T, like masterfully answered that. Why add that to your collection? I mean, like you said, two explain why you're working with the things in that way you're right as someone who myself only recently got into practicing um there are very many reference guides but they don't really set you up for that jason so i'm really excited to see this is if that's your like you said your uh contractually obligated spell book there i'm super excited to see that you broke a mold with it it seems
2: and it's not really contractually obligated you know the idea for this book was not in a llewellyn contract or something it was just something that came to me in the shower one day. You know, there's easy to think deeply in the shower, the warm right? water, right? It's right. Yeah.
1: I get some of like, best ideas in the shower and then I have to remember them when I get out of the shower.
2: <laughs> yeah. This was one of those ones where I ran out of the shower and then sat down where I'm sitting right now, probably still wet without <laughs> on, and, and started like writing it down. Like, you know, I'm going to talk about this and this and this and this and then the last chapter will take a lot of that and smush it all together in a big way. And we're going to write about this and this. And I realized that I just don't write spells well. And while I was sitting there, I, I sent a message to my friend, Matt, who does. And I was like, I'm thinking about doing this project. Would you like to be involved? And he said, yes, that would be great. And then he was like, I think we need more people involved. I think Ari and Amanda should be involved with us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so, we asked them and Amanda said yes pretty quickly and Ari's like, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, Come on, gotta say yes. And and she did eventually. But yeah, shower, not contractually obligated, but it just feels like every witch who writes books writes the spell book at some point, right? Mm-hmm. They have to write their magic book. But I'm really, have to I'm write really happy own with how it turned out. Yeah.
1: And I think from the bits that I've read, because I haven't made my way all the way through the book yet, but from the bits that I've read, you've done a really wonderful job of kind of breaking down magic and the properties of magic. And I say properties loosely because it's. It, the properties encompasses everything It encompasses, uh, the stones and the herbs and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, sigils and all that good stuff. But you really took a great opportunity to break all that down and kind of give everybody a good starting point. So this is a really great book. Like you were saying that you wish that you had when you started out, this is going to be probably one of the books that is in my top five that I recommend to all new witches or new practitioners because you did such a beautiful job of breaking all that down and showing, okay, you, here's all the stuff you need to know. And then here's some examples of ways that you could practice this if you have no idea what you're doing and you're just starting out. So you did a really great job with that. You and all of the other
2: authors. (laughs) Well, there's a ton of stuff in it. And like, there's sigil magic in the book. You mentioned that. Mm -hmm. And Really, there's four pages of sigil magic. I mean, it's not a whole lot because it can't be. This is already a pretty long book. You can't go into great depth with everything, but it can show you sort of the basics of how to do it and then it will tell you to read Laura Tempest Zakroff's sigil magic book. Mm-hmm. If that's the type of magic that appeals to you. You know, so it's I hopefully it opens a lot of doors for people and hopefully it just explains some things if people have had questions about, you know, what they're doing when they do stuff magically.
1: Absolutely. It's definitely a really cool thing. And I like it, you know, just talking on the sigil thing for a brief moment um, that you put in there, the lazy sigil way to create a lazy sigil, (laughs) which was really funny. I was like, Oh, well, this isn't handy. I could just create one of these little boards and create sigils very easily. But I'm also one of those very artistic people that I'm like, I don't like the way that looks because it looks too boring. So I have to go create something prettier, (laughs) but it works really nicely.
2: (laughs) For all of us who worked on the book, one of the things that we believe is that magic should be easily available to people. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the books that I read when I was starting out made magic really complicated. There's Raymond Buckland's Practical Candle-Burning Rituals, those rituals aren't practical. I think every <laughs> spell includes 10 candles, right? Right. And if you don't have money for rent, maybe you don't have money for 10 candles. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so it's not practical. So I wanted, you know, we try to keep everything really easy to do without thousands of ingredients. Also, if you don't have one ingredient, there's probably another ingredient that you can use mm-hmm. that's, you know, equivalent or close to, and it's fine to do that. One of the things I think people get wrong about spell books is you don't have to do the spell exactly as it's written. The spells work best when you take an idea and then you make it your own, right So yes. we have spells, but we encourage people to play with the spells and you know if you don't want to say words that rhyme all the time, don't right mm-hmm. you know if you if you don't want to do this part, don't do this part. if that part doesn't make sense to you, don't add it, add something else you know so taking like ownership of your spell work will make your magic better
0: that's
1: and i think that's also probably one of the best (laughs) the best ways for you to go about creating your own spells is to kind of start by taking somebody else's spell and in a way making it your own making it more comfortable for your craft and i i really like that you mentioned that because that that's something that's really powerful too that should be really mentioned in a lot of books but kind of isn't. So I'm glad that you talk about that.
2: Uh, One of the mantras of all of my books is there are no absolutes, Like you don't have to do everything this way. There is no one witch with all of the truth. You know, there's (laughs) no one wrong way to be a witch or no one right way to be a witch and to practice these things. Uh, So letting people know that it's okay to experiment, open stuff up is really important to me because sometimes when you read things, people do write in absolutes. Yes. Right? And I've, never, I've always, yeah, it always kind of bugs me. I read a book the other day, and, you know, in one of the early sentences was, this is really kind of off topic, but it isn't, you know, absolutes. They wrote, witchcraft is not a religion. Okay, that that's fine. Witchcraft certainly doesn't have to be a religion, and for many people it's not. But for some people it is, too. And then later in the book, there are four chapters of talking to goddesses you know, it, it just was strange to me that that was your absolute, right, while then talking about worshiping deity, which to me is kind of like religion, right? I mean, yeah. yeah. So, always yeah. try really hard to avoid the absolutes.
0: It's, it's so good. Because, uh, I mean, again, coming into it, I we read a lot of books by authors, Um like Laura Tempest-Zakroff, people that do not write in absolutes. In fact, they're the people uh, we always recommend, Weave the Liminal as a great book to get into the craft because it's it's the opposite of absolutes. It's giving you the power. Mm-hmm. And I'm so happy every time we hear an author like Jason say that Like this is breaking down that older methodology. Like you mentioned, Jason, that, that when you got into it, a lot of the older books are very ceremonial magic oriented or... Um, many types restricting it behind some sort of mysticism paywall and it makes it the opposite of accessible so thank you for putting more stuff out there that is like workable and and pegan you said it very well you can take a spell you can toy with it and make it your own there too so i love that
1: Mm Definitely,
2: and I love sort of the regimented, sort of high witchcraft. These and thous, and I summon stir and call you up (laughs) and doing everything (laughs) very, very deliberately. I love that. I mean, to me, that's when I picture witchcraft in my brain. I picture, you know, pictures from Time Life, nineteen seventies English witches, you know, naked in the candlelight. I love, (laughs) I love that kind of stuff. But I also realize it's not for everybody. And Mm -hmm. just because I like something doesn't mean everyone else is or it has to be done that way. You know, just do what works for you. There's thousands of different kinds of witchcraft and there are thousands of different kinds of witchcraft for a reason. Because that, you know, you'll find what works for you or you create your own that works for you. You know, I want to give people tools for that. You know,
1: I think it's, I I heard a quote the other day and I don't even remember who said it. I want to say it was possibly one of the other guests from my show, but, uh, the, the interesting thing that they said is magic all flows through everybody, but how it flows through us is going to vary from person to person. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about here where, you know, what's, is one person's cup of tea is not someone else's cup of tea. And I think that's kind of how the magic flows through us. It's not going to flow exactly the same. So it's such a really beautiful way to kind of look at that, to go, okay, you don't have to do it this way because it doesn't flow through you that way. And that's okay. That is okay.
2: When I got my notes back from the editor for this book, you know, there's a couple of different processes with Llewellyn, but the last set of notes is like kind of the final edit. And it was like you contradict yourself here. Like you know, on page this, you say not to do that, and here you are doing it. And I was like, there are four different voices in this book, and as it says in the beginning, sometimes things are going to be contradictory in the book because we don't all process magic the same way. I, I think they came up with candle magic. You know, usually if you anoint a candle with oil or something, they'll tell you to start at the bottom and work to the top. Right. Because Mm -hmm. that represents growth and abundance. And Matt wrote a spell where he was trying to get rid of people. And it's like, you know, you sit down with the candle and, you know, you start at the bottom and then you push forward. Right. Because you're pushing that person away from you. And in that sort of sense, it, it, you know, made perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Right. Because you could visualize seeing you pushing the person away while you're preparing the candle. And the same time, if you are doing an abundance spell and you work up the candle, you can see in your mind's eye why that would work, though Mm -hmm. they are contradictory. Right. Because you're doing this motion for two different things. But magic's like that. It's not always as exact as we want it to be. Again, there are no absolute rules. You know, as long as it makes sense to you and in the context of what you're doing, that's important when we were putting together the list of of stones and crystals to talk about in the book, you know, we included pyrite. And I think of pyrite, I think, wow, that's something that's confusing because people think it's gold and it's really not. Right? <laughs> right. So if I would have to fuddle somebody, maybe I would use pyrite. And Matt and Amanda were like, no, not everyone can afford a gold bar, Jason. So people use it for money spells, for, for prosperity. And I was like, well, that makes sense. But I think what I wrote makes sense. So I include both of them in the book. Because mm-hmm. if you think like me, pyrite would probably, you could probably use it in a magical sense to confuse somebody. And if you think like they do, then you could use it to attract abundance or wealth into your life.
1: You know, that's a very kind of fun way to really think about it. You know, it, perhaps you're kind of in a situation where you need to figure out how to get some energies that are a very favorable around you away from you and you used to pirate to kind of confuse them away but you also want to attract goodness and abundance into your life and you can also use it for that at the same time which is really a fun way to think about it
2: you know one of the things we wanted to do while we were writing the book and we're looking at all the different herbs and stones and stuff and you know every book has long lists of that stuff and ours are long but hopefully they're not too long Uh, we didn't want to look at other people's books right I didn't want to look at scott cunningham and just repeat what scott cunningham and <laughs> all of his encyclopedias back in the 80s and 90s you know while I was putting the book together Ari's really good with stones and crystals that's her thing so we sat had a i had a cider she had a gin and tonic and i said tell me about stones and we listed a bunch of stones and i said what do you think that it does like what is what is that energy for you right no mm-hmm. looking at books just these are your experiences what does it do for you You know, and I'm going to write it that way. This is what Ari says these do. You, your interpretations may differ. And that's how we did the book. We did the same thing with oils with Amanda. And I did the same thing with herbs with Matt. You know, we just talked about how these things work for us instead of consulting 95 different things.
1: That is really
2: awesome. Mm -hmm.
1: Really awesome.
0: I love that.
2: Yeah. I, so I'm sure someone will tell me I'm, that we're wrong. Like, they'll look it up like, that's not what Scott Cunningham's book says. So obviously, <laughs> these people don't know what they're talking about and are wrong. So I'm looking forward to those one-star reviews on Amazon. <laughs> uh, In two you weeks, called it. It's going to be great.
0: That the, I'm sorry to say, yeah, that is such a good bet. That is such a smart <laughs> bet, Jason. You're going to get that The thing is. Ugh, i mean what can't always just regurgitate the same thing forever and always i mean mm-hmm. pagan and i've had this conversation that um that, that coming into witchcraft there's certainly things that overlap all over the place like you mentioned you're including um some sigil witchcraft stuff in there but laura's book is obviously like you're saying you direct people as as a detailed guide things are going to overlap but there's also variation. I mean, we already have cultural differences on these things just based on regions of the world. So absolutes get very muddy very quickly. I mm-hmm. mm, maybe we need to do a candle so less of those reviews stick. <laughs> For some of that away.
2: Maybe maybe magic is kind of like music, right? I mean, some people like mm-hmm. certain kinds of things. Mm-hmm. You know, during the Super Bowl, I watched everyone over 60 on Facebook just horrified that there was rap music playing. This isn't even music, they said, you know, and I was like, I'm Gen X. This is Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre. Right. This is awesome. <laughs> totally right. down. You know, it's, this is college party music right there. You know, long history with that stuff. But, you know, like how we interpret different magical things is like music, it's subjective, right? Like, this is a good song. This is not a good song. This is for uh, money magic. No, this is for you know, protection magic, you know, it, Mm -hmm. those energies are going to interact with us differently, right? Because we're all unique.
1: And I think that also goes back to even, you know, if you wanted to base that in science, you could as well, because the different frequencies that come through in music affect our brains differently and light up different areas in the brains. So if you wanted to incorporate, like, for instance, music or magic or something that really resonates with you, if you were able to track that, you know, through MRI or, you know, um, EKG or EEG or whatever it's Mm -hmm. called, um, then your brain would actually light up differently through all the stuff that resonates with you, essentially, because your brain's like, oh, I like this, so light up pretty. I don't like this, let's not light up. And so I think that that's a really kind of fun way to look at it as well. And it's also like somebody like me, I really can find music that resonates on a magical level with me um, that almost can become its spell in itself or its own form of divination in itself. And there's just something about it that you can't explain. And it kind of goes into that whole thing with magic that it's like some days I can't explain how the magic works. I just know it does. And I can't explain why the music works. I just know it does. And I think that that's a really kind of fun way to look at it
2: as well. I was just thinking of like how things we react to things differently. Hematite is like a really good example of a stone that people react to differently. You know, some people, when they grab hematite, they pull energy from it. Like Ari Mm -hmm. picks it up, makes her feel like she's got lots of power and energy and strength. You know, she wears it as jewelry because she can draw from it during a bad day at work. And then there are other people when they touch hematite, they feel as if their energy is being depleted. Like they're not getting anything from the hematite. It's just anything that they have is going into the hematite. So again, you know, it's just how we interact with these energies is different because our bodies and our way of interpreting things is always different.
1: That's so cool. I love it. Like the science nerd in me just kind of geeks out hearing that kind of stuff. (laughs) I'd love to find a way to like map that in science, but I don't even know if somebody ever has. And if they did, I need to find the study because I need to read about it.
2: Ari in her day job is a scientist. You know, oh, she cool. runs a, a laboratory at uh, Stanford Hospital, you know, so she's doing science all the time. So when she thinks about magic, she does think about it in a lot of scientific terms. Mm-hmm. I tend to probably think of it in poetic terms. You know, I mm-hmm. want to turn everything into a sonnet or something, but you know, she is much more analytical about it in mm-hmm. when she thinks about it. That's and that's, that's fun too, because it's different approaches.
0: That's something I, I love and can gravitate towards. I won't say I'm the biggest science guy, but I am the techie man. And, and that's where Pagan and I come together is I, I usually bring the gadgets that run on batteries or electricity. And Pagan brings the herbs to the table. And the beauty is that we've met and shared and mingled and you know, found our medium a, a ground in between. Mm-hmm. But that's I, just something I want to shout out that I love hearing that people in science whatever that broad strokes means i'm glad that those people are also embracing magic because that's i think something um at a surface level maybe a cultural level we're told there's you know those two cannot overlap like scientists can't have religion or anything mm-hmm. but that's not true not true from my opinion i think it also greatly limits the conversation if we're to say that you can't pursue uh, science and god or something in between like hmm. not the way the life tends to work i don't think there i mean
2: Just for being around her. I know a lot of people who are spiritual or religious, you know, where she works, you know, Mm -hmm. and they're scientists. But I also know I live in Silicon Valley. And, you know, we're 40 minutes south of San Francisco with traffic Mm -hmm. on a very, very good day, 40 minutes. And I always thought that I would move out here and it would be this super magical place and everybody would be into all this stuff. And it's certainly a really progressive place. And there are a lot of people right now who are interested in stones and astrology and stuff. But in Silicon Valley, with all the tech, we have not found as many witches as we thought we would. You know, they exist in the area, but it's like by the University of California at Berkeley, not so much in Silicon Valley in San Jose. You know, so in certain areas, it does feel like maybe there's a disconnect between magical work and people's different professions, at least where we live right now.
1: Mm-hmm. I would say that kind of falls in line here too. Like I I live near a military base, and so, and I also happen to live in the Bible Belt. But surprisingly, the two kind of things that you see are lots of atheism, a little bit of Christianity, surprisingly, and some spiritualism. But it's not so much that you would think that with the military there would be a much higher um, rate of Christianity and all that. But it's kind of now becoming the opposite where you're seeing spirituality grow and Christianity kind of wane. Um, But it's very interesting to kind of see how the fields are different, but yet people are still trying to find some way to connect to that spiritualism in their own way. And it may not look like a traditional form of witchcraft or religion or anything like that, but it's very interesting.
2: Yeah. I mean, for some people, it just might be a hike in the woods or something, right? Which... Mm -hmm many witches certainly could understand having a spiritual experience there, but maybe people aren't attaching sort of the idea that, oh, the wilderness is the goddess or Pan or something like that, right? They're just in awe of what is around them. And yeah, so many different ways to look at the world.
1: Definitely.
0: So, gosh, I'm so glad we've been able to like have a, a cool conversation about people stepping into their own like sort of magic in this way and you guys taking ownership with it with a book and just referring to kind of a I love the collective voices that are going to be in there. Um, Can we talk for a little bit maybe about, uh, Jason, you even set this up, the herbs and plants in the title, but then it came up a couple seconds later when we were actually talking, you said um, that you, when you say apothecary, for example, or herbs, that maybe those two channel one in the same, but then you mentioned how there's living at plants out there so there is a little bit of a divide maybe I, I i hear what you mean with that title in general but i can also maybe see this getting back into nature thing and where i'm going about this is we're getting a lot of accessibility to witchcraft which is cool but i at the same time, I see a lot of pre-packaged stuff, which is great. That gets people started. Uh, Amazon is a flood with like all kinds of really expensive herbs and all kinds of cases and stuff. But people can go out there and get involved with herbalism by simply planting in their garden this summer. And I, Pagan, you've been such a huge advocate for getting our community out there and, and just getting their hands dirty. Jason, do you, do you find yourself being a big plant guy? Do you grow stuff yourself, or is that something you maybe? Have a brown thumb like me. Where do you land there?
2: (laughs) I garden. I garden. I don't garden a lot. I I don't like. I'll admit that I don't like vegetables. And also, (laughs) we live in (laughs) we live in California, where you know we're in perpetual drought. So my wife's like, you know, maybe you shouldn't grow pumpkins this year, right? Because you're going to have to use a lot of water. But I grow things. I think there's extra power in your magic if you take something from your own garden. Um. However. If you sort of look at the history of people doing magic in the United States, a lot of them have always gone to shops and bought mm-hmm. stuff. It's easier now than ever. You don't have to walk to the Warlock shop in New York City. You just go to Amazon and, you know, you probably get something not made by a witch, completely pre-packaged. You're out. using, You know, you're using all that carbon to get it to you from China or whatever, which is problematic in its own way. But, you know, people have always bought things. I don't think there's anything necessarily bad about that, but I do think that if you want to be a responsible witch, you should know where your things are sourced from. I yes. think that, yeah, I like that because the things that you were using are going to soak up the energies of where they were manufactured or what's going on with them, you know, you should be aware of that. If it's a way, if you're using an herb that was grown in a sustainable way that was grown in a place where people care for the land and are good stewards of it, it's probably going to serve your magical interests that much better. If Mm -hmm. you use something that was, you know, grown 8,000 miles away with no care and respect for the earth and the people who harvest it were treated as, you know, like complete crap or something, right. You know, living on five cents an hour or something that is going to also kind of be soaked up into what you're using. So we have to be responsible as consumers when we do buy something that's pre-made. You know, I went to a local shop the other day where they make all their incense and oil by hand using recipes that are a couple of decades old and stuff. And, you know, it just feels better. Just mm-hmm. smells better.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: I bought you. one of the oils. I just keep rubbing it on myself because it just smells so good. And you can <laughs> feel the energy that was used in the creation of it. Right. Because mm-hmm. these are people that I have seen with my own eyes who are doing this work and Absolutely. It's used with that. Oh. And, you know, which is much better than the cheap oil that you get at the weird bookstore down the street, you know, that was made in China and, you know, shipped over here.
1: Yes. That- I, I would say that that's very accurate too. And I have found in my own kind of personal craft, um, especially last year, because last year I was like, you know what, I'm going to go all out with my garden. For the first time, I'm going to go all out and see what I end up with. And the more I really kind of connected my magic to my garden, the better my garden did and the better my magic did. It kind of was this full circle kind of thing. And it was such a wonderful experience Being able to go out and say, okay, I need basil for this spell, and I need some sage for this, and I want to grab some lavender for that, and go outside and literally just be like, okay, just snip, 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 done, and there you go. And it was so much better, and all of my stuff seemed to, like, all my spells that I used them in seemed to work better. So Mm -hmm. I completely, totally feel what you're saying, that if I have to buy something, it almost feels like there's a disconnect between me and whatever I've bought Um, Now, obviously, some things I have to buy, but other things, you know, if I can grow it, I'm definitely going to try to grow it um, now that I've kind of found that it's it's not as difficult as I once made it out to be.
2: And, you know, let's say you can't really grow an herb garden, but look around and see what's there. I mean, you can use Mm -hmm. pine cones for magic. Our house has a lemon tree. You know, we can do a lot of different things with lemons. It it does it does its thing. I don't have to tend the lemon tree at all. <laughs> There's always a hundred lemons on it, you know, and lemons are great for making magic. Mm-hmm. All that stuff. All that stuff's there if you just get out a little bit. Acorns are fun. You can find those in places. You know, you can find a public park, you can find a flower or a leaf. There's all magic in that kind of stuff. It doesn't always have to be the things that we think it has to be, right? Because, you know, Mm -hmm. something like lavender comes up, mugwort, you know, Mm -hmm. things that are kind of exotic sounding. But pine cones are useful, too. They're just not as exotic, right?
1: They aren't. And the cool thing is, like, if you're in a place where you can go hiking and stuff like that and you're allowed to kind of forage a little bit, if you are able to go and look at kind of the local stuff around you and learn your own local vegetation, you might find that some of the stuff you're looking for, like, there's such thing as... um, oh gosh, the name escapes me. I literally just had it. Sorry guys. Uh, But you know, something like yarrow, for instance, yarrow Mm -hmm. grows wild in Tennessee. And so I'd like, for me, I was like, oh, I'll just buy it and grow it. And my sister-in-law's like, you realize there's some in the woods. Right. And I was like, Mm -hmm. no, I didn't. I do now, uh, but mine's prettier because it's purple. But, <laughs> you know, uh, it's one of those things that I'm like, I still want to grow it, but I want to grow it in a pot because I realize now it's a weed. Um, but, yeah, if you're unable to grow things, yeah, definitely go out and see if you can forage it yourself. Uh, you'll find that you'll probably have a much better connection to it because it's local. Just make and sure do it's you
2: bring injured. up something good, though? A lot of herbs that we think are great are really weeds in some mm-hmm. sense right? And they're not supposed to be there and will spread like (laughs) wildfire through your neighborhood. I love Mm -hmm. mint, you know, I like the smell of mint. I I think you can do cool magical things with mint, but I'm not going to grow mint in my garden because mint travels quickly. And I'm not sure that my neighbors want, you know, our neighborhood to smell like candy canes, you know, so (laughs) I'm not going to leave that one alone. If I was
1: your neighbor, I wouldn't mind, but I love mint. That's why I put my mint in the pots because otherwise it will take over. Absolutely. Um, right. The, my pineapple sage almost tried to do that this year as well. And it was in a pot and, uh, but it's also part of the mint family. So, but yeah, that that's definitely something that if you're going to be going out and foraging or if you're going to be growing, look at what spreads easily before you plant it in the ground, plant it in a pot.
2: Otherwise, <laughs> And you can use non-traditional things for magic, too. Like, I love Mm -hmm. sunflowers. That's what I grow the most of. Oh, yes. They're really not useful in a lot of ways, right? I mean, you can eat sunflowers, and Mm -hmm. sometimes we have eaten sunflowers at our house. Mm -hmm. But I've grown so many now that they've all just become hybrid, right? They're not like those pure breeds that you see, like, at a sunflower garden or something. Uh, So they're all kind of a mess. And the seeds are the small black ones, Mm -hmm. which are usually used for sunflower Mm -hmm. oil, not for eating but i harvest the seeds and use them for magic and maybe my uses for them are not traditional but there's something that i have there's something that i feel a real connection with there's a real strength there and power there mostly cuz i threw all of those seeds into the ground or they're the you know the children of the seeds that i threw into mm-hmm. the ground yeah i mean so if it's growing put it to use you know definitely yeah
0: I think I'm going to use that a lot more this summer. I just get into, you know, wild crafting, go out there and, and gather more. I did a little bit of that when I was in Utah, it, much less green space to, you know, harvest from. But we we had some little rose hips that would grow out there. I would collect uh, some pine cones and such. And I, I brought them with me in my move, too. They still, like, have a little space of their own together. So I have... Um, I think it's a little glass jar full of it a little bit of utah here in pennsylvania and you're right that's a a kind of a magic in its own and i uh i guess if i were thinking about it it might have grabbed more on the way but i uh could have got some things crossing those state lines that might have been interesting
1: Definitely so. I I love that um gardening is kind of my my nerd out thing that I could talk hours and hours and hours about. Uh, but definitely um I love that you grow sunflowers and all that because that's one of the things that my daughter asked to grow this year um that we've never grown before. And the the cool thing about it is. I told her, I said, here's the seed website. Go and pick which sunflowers you want. She picked um, like the the pretty sunflowers. They're little, um, they're the chocolate sunflowers. And she also picked the uh, purple Hopi dye sunflowers. The, the seeds have this like purple hue to them and you actually use them to create dye instead of actually eating. You can eat them, mm-hmm. but um, primarily if you were going to eat them, you'd actually like grind them up into a powder and use them for like a, um, almost like a flower. So... Uh, we're excited about growing
2: all that this year. I always like to grow the 14 feet tall, you know, 14 <laughs> yeah. feet tall sunflowers, just because I find that fascinating because it's the only plant that we grow really as humans that mm-hmm. gets that big that fast. I mean, it's 90 days, right? And from birth to death for a lot of sunflowers. And all of a sudden, you've got something that's 12 feet tall, the head on the sunflower you know is a foot across I mean, that's that's incredible to me it's amazing uh, one of my favorite sunflowers ever and i had a favorite sunflower lived like an extra two months longer than it should have and grew up in a gaggle of pumpkin vines it was the only sunflower that grew there oh
1: wow and
2: ended up just being like super tall you know i was so sad when it you know finally died yeah.
1: did your pumpkins vine up it
2: Yes, I had pumpkins vine up it, and I was like, "Oh, pumpkins that's so cool!" Vine into the lemon tree that's near was near there. Oh, wow! So they'll, they'll they'll take over anything. Those pumpkins.
1: We opted not to grow pumpkins this year. We're going to grow watermelons and see how we do with those. But I would, I'd like to grow some sugar pumpkins, but my husband's like, we wouldn't use them all. Why do you want to grow them? And I'm like, because I'm a witch and I want to grow the pumpkins. That's why.
2: (laughs) You know, you you just use pumpkins as decorations. Yes. Living living in California, people buy a pumpkin, don't carve it at Halloween, and then they leave it on their porch where Mm -hmm. it stays for a, a year. (laughs) <laughs> because the weather is good enough that nothing bad is right. gonna happen to it. yeah it's, it's really different from Michigan you know like if you when you did that and it's cold and mm-hmm. your pumpkin is going to be dead by Thanksgiving pretty much no matter what you do. Yep. Now here you know they're just it's all the time.
1: Oh that's pretty fun. I like but,
2: that. but you know you talk about we grow you talk about growing things but we also have always bought a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I mean most people don't make their own incenses people might make their own oil blends and you can use things like an olive oil as a base and make some really interesting oils using other things, infusing Mm -hmm. those oils with stuff. But I mean, we have a long history of buying stuff. Um, You know, again, magic, I think should be accessible. There's just, again, just be careful of how you buy it. And some things that we buy and have always bought are always going to come from thousands of miles away, like certain Mm -hmm. stones and stuff. Right. I mean, yeah. You probably don't have a tourmaline mine in your backyard,
0: right? I, I, I mean, mean one. <laughs> quickly to mind though that this ties exactly what you said, Jason, about uh, buying them ethically and sustainably done. Is I, I saw lots of videos going around probably Christmas time about frankincense being uh, unsustainably harvested and you know a market that just is, is is just damaging the tree. So, like you said, buying from people. Uh, and, and there's lots of great sources with that within the community asking um, some of your favorite creators like Jason, t- people have good solutions to these. Uh, I know one of our friends, Michelle Bellinger, gave us some really good ones for getting around frankincense and trying to find people that really do a good job maintaining the, the orchards that they have. So yeah, mm-hmm. there's, you just can't grow that in your own backyard here, but you can try your best to, yeah, like you said, buy it sustainably.
2: There is some of that in the book. We do, I do talk about you know ethically sourcing your things, and it comes up when we talk about crystals and stones. Most people have no idea where their stones come from. They usually pass through three or four hands before they land at your metaphysical shop. Mm-hmm. Often these things are kind of mined at strip mines in Africa, you know, with no concern or care about the environment at all or the cons- or the treatment of the workers. So that's really problematic. But there are a few places that sell stones that go out of their way to try to trace where these things came from, to have them ethically sourced. You do get what you pay for. Sometimes a stone is very expensive. Like maybe you can buy it for $15 and the local witch shop sells it for $45, but they might be selling it for $45 because the person that got that stone out of the ground did so in a way that was less environmentally damaging and they mm-hmm. you know, made enough to have dinner and you know pay for things Uh, so these are the things we have to weigh when we buy magical materials
0: that's that's I'm glad. I'm glad we had that conversation. I, and I definitely hope I didn't set it up to sound like a diss to anyone buying stuff because that's what I do. I mean, I'm someone that buys. Um, I think what's really interesting as of late is how accessible the information is becoming, how many of those stories are coming out of of buying sustainably, buying ethically and and showing what the damage is. If you do not seeing um, a lot of that pass through the communities is really good to raise awareness.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I, I'm, I'm happy that you Put that in the book, too. Like, that's just a very positive sign for just what at least this community can do for the world.
1: Yes.
2: And sometimes if you read about something like being endangered or whatever, sometimes it's not true. You know, you have to do research, too, just because there's a meme that says something doesn't (laughs) mean it's necessarily accurate. Uh, We do not. I don't use white sage. I've never really used white sage. That's always been a hot button topic. But there's a lot of things that right now that say that it's endangered. It's not endangered. Mm -hmm. Um, that that's that's just the flat out truth however it's often harvested in a very poor way and if you do choose to white to use white sage you can usually buy it from sources where it comes directly from native americans who are harvesting it in an ethical way for you to buy you know so like the eight dollar two pound bag on amazon is probably not good if you use white sage but perhaps the you know $8, two ounces or whatever is good because it's coming from that much better source.
1: The funny thing is too, like, um, when the whole, you know, white sage thing happened, I had actually gotten a five pound bag from a friend who was indigenous. I still have majority of that five pound bag, but I was like, you know what? I want to see what it would take for me to actually grow green sage, this next year. And so this, in you know, last summer I, I, grew five pots of green sage. I harvested so much green sage. I cannot use it all. I'm stocked for sage for probably in the next 20 years. Uh, so if you're somebody who uses a lot of sage in your practice, look into growing it, it grows really easily. It does not take a whole lot of effort. It's very hard to kind of kill because I tried to kill at least two of my plants because they were producing so much, and they actually survived the winter. They have new growth on them, and it's February, so you know, sage will definitely do its thing.
2: If you we're going to have a sage party at Pagan's house, right? that's what I'm <laughs> you
0: hearing. <were>
1: definitely <laughs> we definitely could. We definitely could
0: oh my gosh i love this chat we're we're coming to the the end of the hour though so i want to kind of get us ready to wind down jason i want to give you some time to talk about um your just various places online that people can find you i know i'm following you over on twitter and instagram but but what's what's up mm-hmm. what's going on in in the social spaces what should people be looking for for you on platforms
2: they should be looking at me as an exhausted social media creator. I did <laughs> not know that when I was going to be a witchcraft writer, I was going to have to do all that. Right? So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm on all the major platforms. I'm on Instagram and I think Instagram is probably the best place, you know, cause it just mm-hmm. feels more witchy. Twitter is very clinical. I'm on Twitter too. Yes. Uh, Facebook. I'm of an age where, you know, I have a large Facebook following cause that was the one that I started first. I I do TikTok videos every great once in a while. And there's also Jason's $2 Patreon where I offer rituals and other weird things and funny slideshows and me reading my books out loud that have not been turned into audiobooks. So that's that's always fun.
0: Now that absolutely sounds like a real uh a yes. winner up there on the Patreon. That's I'm always telling pagan like we just in general there's there's not enough audiobooks for for the way my brain works. I know they're very hard to get going and everything. So um anytime someone's reading their own book, love it. Jason, that's super super yeah. cool. We will make it, sure to have links to all of that by the way. Sorry.
2: It's really <laughs> frustrating audiobooks as a witch writer because it's all out of our hands. And Llewellyn basically just kind of like lets somebody else decide. Like, if Audible wants to do your book, you get some money, and then Audible does the book. You don't have much say over the person reading it. And really? m- most assuredly, it's usually not going to be you, yeah. which I think is really a shame, because there are so many witch writers who also do great presentations, right? And mm-hmm. they know the cadence of their own voice, So The Horn God of the Witches got turned into an audiobook, and I tried to listen to it. And the guy who reads it does a nice enough job, but he doesn't talk like I do. So he doesn't pause where I would pause or emphasize a word that I would emphasize. And it's just really alien and weird. And (laughs) I think people probably would have had more fun with the audiobook if they had gotten, you know, my sense of humor while writing it. Cause sometimes Mm -hmm. I write things that I think are funny, but they have to be read in the cadence that I would have chosen. Right. So, so reading my own books is fun and they often comes with extra stories. Like, so I wrote that we do this in my ritual in my coven, but we really don't, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I adapted it. It's close, but I probably shouldn't give you my whole real ritual, you know, and kind of lay the truth out. You know, extra dumb stories and things. Yeah. So it's, it's, that's fun. I like that.
0: That's the that value cool. added right there, Jason. That's why people should go subscribe. Go get signed up on the Patreon. You get those little yes. extra stories along with the book. So mm-hmm. make sure to go support. And Jason, you have a huge archive of, of books. I mean, up there, just like, do you want to, um, kind of rattle off some of the other ones. Cause we've talked to you about the Horn God of the Witches. We've talked about your upcoming, we've talked about uh, Yule, but we've, I, I was going through just the catalog today, uh, your book about like the witches' altar tools and everything. That's something we've mm-hmm. not discussed before. Is that, uh, that's something that people should totally check out. And I'm thinking, bye, what, what would you have to say about that series?
2: You know, I've written this, this Witch's Book of Spellcraft is technically my eighth book or, Seventh or eight and a half, or a seventh and a half, because you know, I've co written some books, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but uh, you know, I started writing books because Llewellyn asked me to, and I wrote The Witch's Athame, which is a part of their Witch's Tool series. That book didn't do particularly well because I don't think that many people care about Athames, however, they let me continue to write books, and I wrote The Witch's Book of Shadows, all about books of shadows, and that book has been really successful. And then there's The Witch's Altar, which I co wrote with Laura Tempest Zakroff. It was mm-hmm. great. I think we've invoked her name eight times during this hour. Now that is contractually be obligated. It. <laughs> we love it. We, have, we must. And we must. She's worth invoking that often.
1: Yes. But then after, but,
2: but then after that, I kind of got away from the toolbox and I got to write what I really wanted to write. My fourth book was Transformative Witchcraft, The Greater Mysteries. And I wanted to write about things that are usually done in a coven setting that are very poorly explained or glossed over in other books. One of those big ones is the cone of power. If you've ever read something like Mm -hmm. the witch's Bible by Janet and Stuart Farrar, it just says, build the cone of power. It doesn't, it never tells you what the cone of power is or how to build the cone of power or what the point of the cone of power is.
1: There's a few points in that book that I I have issue with, and that was one of them.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So, So I wanted to write a book kind of explaining some of those things. So it talks about the cone of power and initiations and elevations dedications that sort of thing also drawing down the moon and then something that's really important to me is the great Rite, which if you read a lot of 70s and 80s witchcraft books it's like this is only for straight people to have babies you know that's sort of how it comes across and i think that's gross and limiting and not really what the great right is about at all so mm-hmm. the i'm really really proud of that book and so that's, it's about that. And then there's the witch's wheel of the year, which is my ritual book. I love writing ritual. I think it's one of the things that I do better. And I love the Sabbaths. I love holidays. So I wanted to write a book that had three different kinds of rituals for every Sabbath, a ritual for solitaries, a ritual for covens, and then a ritual for large groups. I think a lot of witch books with rituals have really crappy rituals. And mm-hmm. I will say that and not apologize for it. Cause they're bad. I mean, it's like, and now for your ritual, hang the token on the tree. The ritual is complete. You know, I mean, there's just no meat <laughs> on the bones uh, for the ritual. So I wanted to put together a Sabbath book with meat on the bones or tofu on the bones for every, you know, every kind of ritual style. Mm-hmm. Give hints for doing ritual and then talk honestly about the history of some of our sabbats. I mean, we have a star coming up. We just got through in bulk. A star is not an ancient sabbat. There's no... 2000 year old to star celebrations. It's nominally a, a new holiday that we kind of created mm-hmm. in the 50s, 60s and 70s. I think being honest about those things gives those things more power. Right. And we also get right. to write our own stories when we're honest about it. So, yeah. So those are the other books that we have not talked about. And then in December, cause I always have a book on the way. Yes. What's <laughs> up next. Um, I, yeah, I wrote a book with Estrella Taylor who wrote a great book called intuitive witchcraft. Mm-hmm. And like I don't, I have to look up the title because they, you know, they change the Llewellyn titles all the time. <laughs> um, yeah, it's that's modern witchcraft with the Greek gods, history insights, and magical practices. And I think Ooh. that's due like December eighth. And it's mostly about the Greek gods with lots of spell ideas. Those are mostly from Australia, and then ritual ideas from me because you know we each have our own strengths, so which is fun. So, hopefully, we'll talk in November at the very <laughs> latest, and Estrella can join us too, and we can talk about oh, that. That would book. be great. Would be oh, yeah. we would love to. So, so, there's always something. Oh, yes. There's always something on the horizon.
0: Yes, please, Jason. We would love to have you back. It is an open door policy. I mean, we we could, and the thing is, we just we start mm-hmm. these conversations and we get into a, a meat of a subject, and you know, an hour comes to a close way too fast, is the way it goes. So, we need to have you back. Uh, we got plenty of time this year, and uh, we'll have you back before before the November window for sure. So, everyone out there listening, Definitely. make sure you go and check out all the links. We're gonna have a ton of them below, but you need to go ahead and get yourself a copy of the witch's book of spellcraft a practical guide of connecting with the magic of candles crystals plants and herbs and that becomes available on march 8th go ahead get yourself a a pre-order if you can um go follow jason on all the social media and uh all the people that are participating in the book jason are they are they social media people as well or some of them on and off the radar
2: not really like i am they they, they haven't gotten to that point you know there's also oh, and I forgot. There's a lot of uh, great other witches in the book too. We took spells from Madame Pomita, who oh. is terrific. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Ian Chambers, who has his first Llewellyn book coming out later this year. Lilith Dorsey has a an oil recipe in the book. There's a there's Estrella is has a recipe or a spell in the book. So there's a lot of other outside contributors too, just to show people the breadth and
0: depth of magical practice. Beautiful, I love it. Totally beautiful. Jason, thank you for taking the time and coming by and hanging out with us tonight. We really, really, really appreciate it. Um, To everyone out there, like I said, get involved, get subscribed, check out the people in the book as well. Like, seriously, those are some standout names. So um, support Witchy Creators, support people doing good in the community, and we will catch you all very soon with some new content. So thank you very much, everyone, and stay safe out there. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.